Welcome to Creative Dialogues. Creative Dialogues is a Wollongong City Council project, a podcast focused on the arts, exploring collaboration, upskilling and community building within and across art forms. My name is Tom Hogan, and this episode is Getting Your Work Out There for Visual Arts. (laughs) Yeah, that song still slaps. So all artists want to create work that has meaning and value, but what's the point if nobody gets to see it? And you can't just wait for opportunities. So this episode, we're putting a focus on visual art, specifically about creating your own opportunities. And obviously, visual art is such a massive umbrella term, but our two guests this episode are experts across it all. I'm going to, do you want me to record my track on this end and then send you away, or are you just getting my audio on that end? In the blue corner, we have Simon Grant. Simon is the founder of Verb Syndicate a studio of creative engineers who work to push artists towards business opportunities. And he also founded the glorious street art festival, Wonderwalls. If you want to give a clap, I can um, just line that up. Yeah, cool. All right. One, two, three. Love it. In the red corner, we have visual artist, curator, and educator, Madeline Preston. Um, Madeline, welcome, Madeline, to the Hi. conversation. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to clap. Don't worry about it. You're good. <laughs> Can you hear me from this mic? Yes. Madeline lectures on professional practice at the National Art School and is also the co-director of Home at 735 Gallery in Surrey Hills. And she's a prolific artist in her own right. Okay. All right. I'll try that. Yeah. Now, in my head, there's this perception of a divide between street art and the world of gallery representation. Not with any aggression towards the other. I just mean, I thought they would share some similarities, but still be at odds when it comes to some philosophies here and there. But you can hear throughout this discussion how both parties sit in the same world. Although right off the bat, the heated intensity almost led to an all-out brawl. Did you want to go first? You go first, no, no. Fight for it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So if this episode is about creating your own opportunities and getting your work out there, I asked Simon about how Wonderwall's festival started. Yeah, for sure. So uh, it was 2012. Um, was the first year that we ran the event and um, I co-founded it with some friends out of um, Sydney, a guy by the name of Elliot, another guy, Brad and Marty, um, two of the guys' brothers as well, all artists. Um, And look, to be honest, you know, I've I've lived and worked in Wollongong my whole life, so there was always this massive kind of desire not to have to travel for the things that I loved. Um, So... Started with a few loose conversations around, you know, what they're into, what I'm into, you know, started seeing each other at a few exhibitions around the place. And from there, we just sort of had this conversation around bringing the guys down to paint a couple of walls in Wollongong. Um, and it just, honestly, it's a, it's such a cliche story, but it just sort of snowballed from there. And some of their friends were coming then some of my friends were coming. And then we just, before we knew it, there was 10 people around. And then we made a flyer, we made a logo. We didn't advertise it really other than sort of through our networks. And um, we're really lucky in that first year. There's an artist um, goes by the name of Roan who did the painting on uh, Kira Street right opposite Amigos, which is mm-hmm. the portrait of the um, of the woman. That was a, that was sort of the biggest piece from that year and um, highly visible, created a lot of um, conversations. And, yeah, we were sort of uh, – we were able to raise the awareness of the event sort of through that piece and, yeah, future years receive some funding and push forward that way. So, yeah. 
so it, it, I mean, you're right. As far as the cliche goes, it's just like you have the idea, you sort of do it a little bit, and then it kind of spirals out of control, and suddenly you realize you've you've carved a little path for yourself, and you just kind of just ha- ha- you know sort of keep going. Um, that was uh, I, yeah. I mean, did you imagine it being being this big as it is now? In 2012 is when I like remember it. It's like when I was like, oh my god. And so then just looking this up, I'm like, I've seen all of this, like. Um, mm. I just didn't realize how, uh, only because I'm not a, a Wollongong local and now it's like you're all over the place. Like, big, Have you got big plans for where this goes? Yeah, I mean, like the aim is to always, you know, grow the festival both in its footprint locally and, and nationally as well. Um, I have a partner in South Australia, uh, Joel Moore, who runs the Port Adelaide event mm-hmm. um, and that started in 2015 and runs biannually um yeah a few other different conversations happening around the place obviously it's probably been a a common theme with these podcasts is around you know the current state of affairs around the covid stuff and all the rest of it has kind of put a real dampener on public gatherings and event um events like this but in saying that as well you know like a lot of the artists that we have worked with and continue to work with you know have pretty amazing careers either before, during or after Wonderwalls as well, you know. So it's um, it's just awesome to be able to, yeah, collaborate with a bunch of, probably a bunch of like my favourite international artists as well, you know, that are contributing to this scene and culture on a, on a global level. Like it's pretty yeah, pretty inspiring. Um, similarly, I could probably relate that to you, Madeline, who uh, opened, you opened your own gallery uh, around yeah. the same sort of time as well, I think. And was that under the same kind of um, – I mean, is it as cliche as that? Is it like you just sort of saw the avenue to do it, started to compile people you liked together? Or did you have much more of a plan than that? Or um, Well, to be honest with you, it was much more my partner's idea to do it than mine because we operate out of the house. And I was like, oh, I, I know the artist can be a bit disorganised. So I was a bit <laughs> What do you nervous. mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, introducing all these artists into the house that potentially could be – but it's actually been really great. We've only had a couple of – times where people haven't kind of you know brought work to the you know on time or whatever but generally speaking everyone's been fantastic and it was more just I had started to get into 3D work I'd always worked in painting and I found that say things like ceramics glass any of those sorts of areas weren't very represented or if they were they were in a particular kind of gallery and I wanted to elevate them and say look they're just as important to show as a painting or any of those things that are considered high art. Um, so it was the idea to show, you know, four or five artists, generally young artists, all together. Um, and over time, like over the last seven years, we started to show older, more established artists with younger artists. So build those kind of relationships between um, generations, if you like. So, you, yeah. Do you still feel there's like that that weird, uh, like that s- sculptures and 3D work have a different, like aren't considered high art? Is that a thing that you're uh, Perhaps about? more the materials, so it, it, more like with ceramics or, you know, things that have been traditionally uh, nominally called craft. Yes. So a lot of the time that sort of has been, you'll find them more in shop-style galleries than in um, high-end galleries, although that, having said that, that has really changed in the last seven years. But that was the original idea in 2013. Got it. And so, in the last seven years, you mean in in the time that you've been active? In the time when there's nothing so to you've do with been me. a pioneer for <laughs> change. Nice work. Wow. No, but I mean, there's been a lot of like, I mean, there's Wollongong locals, for example, you know, yeah. Glenn Barkley, or not, he's not Wollongong, but like South Coast people who've really pushed ceramics as a form 
to become like a, it's a, it's you know really well known now because of people like Glenn. So yeah, there's been um been a lot of change, but it was also because I felt that a lot of young artists were missing out on the opportunity to show because with rent being what it is in Sydney, a lot of galleries close, and the smaller ga entry galleries for young um, artists, a lot of them around that time had started to close. Mm. So it was important to kind of have another space to sort of say, hey, here's somewhere you can show. So you, you both seem um, pretty committed. Like you've both brought up this idea of like emerging and local artists and uh, essentially working with artists who you sort of saw as people who could be uh, considered a high art for all intents and purposes and that you mm -hmm. like why is that so important to you as a starting point, like working with other people as opposed to your own work? Like how did that come about? Um, I think it's something that I've learned over time. Like when I went to art school, there was this idea that, you know, you're the person who makes the work and you'll, you know, you'll have this kind of really um, vertical career. But it's actually to do with the community that you build and mm. that's what sustains you. So, you know, you can have levels of success that can kind of come and go, but without a community. And because visual arts is such a solid, can be such a solitary activity, it's actually harder than in something like I, I imagine film or theatre to where you're around with other people all the time. Mm. But in if you're a painter in a studio, you might not have any contact with anyone unless you instigate kind of community things. Yeah, so you say actually in, like you're trying to establish the importance of that kind of link or you, you're trying to create that community? Um, that a mean? bit of both really, a bit of like um, yeah, yeah, it's important to have one, it's important to kind of get to know other artists and also because you, you often end up collaborating or you know they'll suggest you for something or you can suggest them for something so it's really it builds a really nice rapport yeah and similar to you simon it just seems like community seems to be the entire basis for all the stuff that you do for both verb syndicate and for wonderwalls yeah for sure i mean look you know a lot of this stuff has spawned from the roots of you know what people probably would have referred to as graffiti 20 years yeah. ago um yeah and it's actually been a really interesting journey. I mean, like uh, I've sort of participated in that scene for close to, oh, I don't know, over 20 years. And um, I think it's it's been really interesting watching it kind of morph from, you know, like a little underground culture into a scene, into an industry, you know. And I think that's, it's been, I've been really privileged to be a part of that and sort of see how that's gone. And, you know, seeing artists going from getting, you know, a couple hundred dollars for a project right through to, you know, couple of hundred thousand dollars on in in some aspects so yeah it's it's great for everybody and would you say that's it, that's essentially because of community that you've been able to see that change like in in the sense that as madeline was sort of saying like uh, it can be quite solitary and even especially graffiti by itself is like there's this sort of final result almost um it seems like by having a community you kind of are able to validate the work a bit more and to have much more public kind of appreciation or at least at least for a solo individual to sort of like have a bit of a, a wider garner of success yeah i mean i think like our role you know as verb and and potentially wonder walls as well is almost to extract ourselves from that community and obviously you know be a part of it but you know i, I see my role primarily as you know bridging the gap between those communities, you know, mm. commercial opportunities and all the rest of it that happen where, you know, some of the artists, not all, but some of the artists that we do work with don't necessarily have the skills or the confidence or the self-belief necessarily to take what they do and present that in a boardroom to, you know, what you refer to as suits or, you know, yeah, um, yeah sort of different commercial opportunities like that. So that's where I sort of see our value 
yeah, starting to really take effect. And I think that's, I mean, that's kind of like the goal of this conversation might be if we assume that uh, an individual artist has been working on their craft and like has like like we, it's not like we're going to solve in this podcast like the next creative step an artist should do. So let's just if we assume that a, an artist has uh, work or ability to make work, what should be like? What's the first kind of practical step that an artist can do to get their work, visual work, into um, I don't know festivals or galleries or things like that? Like, what is one of the first sort of things you need to do? Yeah, I don't know about you, Simon, but for, for me, it's photos. I mean, really good quality photos is, is the first thing that I always kind of recommend to anyone just because, you know, that's often the first way anyone sees your work. Then in your case, they might be much more likely to see it because it's out, outside. Um, but for us, certainly the people that we show, unless they've got good photos or a website with good photos on it, we, it's so hard to know what people do. So, yeah, that would be my absolute first thing to say to anyone. Would you say yeah, same no, I'd, I'd, yeah. yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, sort of working on um, almost creating opportunities in the first instance for yourself because I think, you know, people like us, for example, like, I mean, I look for a lot of self-initiation and, you know, that, that they're self-propelled and, you know, they're going to do that. Like I get really excited when I see somebody that's, you know, it looks like they're going to do it with or without me, you know, like yes. I, I get this real like sort of <laughs> – FOMO where I'm like, oh man, if we don't jump on this with, with this person, then, you know, chances are they're just going to do it anyway, which is, which I think is a really exciting way to go about your, your craft, whether it doesn't matter what that is, art, music, design, just, you know, get in there and get it done. That's what inspires everybody, I think. So how do you find those people? Like um, if they're, if they're sort of making it, how, like for, like for both of you, like do they just stick out in a crowd? Like does their work... Um, like how do you find their work? How do you find those people? I'd say it's like like they often they'll approach me or they'll they'll be really proactive. Like they you, you'll see that they'll be showing everywhere or they're trying mm. every opportunity. They are entering every prize and they don't get um, like they get knocked back like everybody else. Lots of stuff, but they still keep going. So you kind of can see it, and it's not even necessarily what people do because sometimes you know I don't like every kind of artwork ever made, but you can see that attitude is the is the way that it's kind of creating something like you say you know they're going to do it whether you're there or not you know yeah no that's a huge one i think um i'm also like a a, a chronic instagram creative stalker as well you know so i'm deep in some of those hashtags on you know street artists local street artists sydney street artists wollongong street artists Wollongong. you know like i, I just scour because i mean the thing for for me that I kind of consider my art now is really just trying to find the diamond in the rough, like, you know, the the hidden gem that, you know, you don't need to have 100,000 Instagram followers. Like, you know, I sort of feel like even with Wonderwalls, um, I mean, we were super blessed to bring an artist from Poland for the Port Kembla Wonderwalls Festival. I think he had like 500 Instagram followers. It totally wasn't about that kind of social level or you know like i think there's a lot of emphasis now in creative around you know oh you get picked based on how many instagram followers you have you weren't looking for something quantifiable you just you actually saw like the art that you actually wanted to exhibit yeah totally and i think it yeah when when you see that stuff there's that new look or that new thing or just something that really resonates and to me like that's what excites me the most is you know getting those sort of emerging talents that you know pulled from obscurity and putting them on a stage and 
you know, watching people respond and react to the way that you have. I, I feel like that's a really, really great opportunity. So, yeah, I think the social side, social media for me is a, it's an easy way to sort of uncover talent. Which I guess is different between um, like the 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 I don't know visual art gallery world and uh, like going from street art into a gallery or a street art into sort of a festival kind of thing. That um, oh, actually, that's a good question. I don't even know. Like, I assume all visual artists probably need to have an Instagram following, regardless. Would you agree, Madeline? Like, it's or some sort of visual portfolio is what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are going for Instagram and a lot of people are, you know, like that's the, the go-to place for a lot of artists and a lot of people looking for visual content of any kind because it's it's not like a Facebook or something that feels old-fashioned or, or has too much text. Mm. It's literally the image, really, that gets people. And it speaks for itself. Yeah, and it's and then you can kind of see it in a, in a grid, so you're starting to think, oh, well, how do these all sit together? What's the ideas going on here? But I also like to suggest to people that I have a website only because in the more kind of commercial gallery world, they want, to, they want life to be easy for them because uh, initially when an artist starts, they might not earn very much for the gallery, like as a percentage. So say even if the gallery, some of them take 50%, if they took 50% but you're only selling for 2000 that's that's $1,000. And if they've got a, a, a person who's selling for 50000 they're going to make twenty five. So their emphasis is often on the other more established artists. Um, even in a smaller gallery, just to, to you know, keep the doors open. Um, so they, um, in that sense, then I say, you know, you need to do all the work and have a website and have all that stuff so the gallery doesn't have to and should an opportunity arise, they can just come and pick up a bit of text of your bio and, you know, make things easy for them. So even though Instagram's huge, I'd still say try and have a site as well. Mm, yeah, it's just like a, a basic, a, essentially like the new business card really. Is that a Yeah, like, just like somewhere. Here is some cohesive way to look at my art or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Which means in both cases, it's like, do you need to be good at explaining your art? Like, I mean, even for you, Madeline, like you, the way you were saying, you just like you're working uh, with different materials and different processes, and like, how much is the like the artist statement important when it comes to selling your work? Um, I think it's kind of important in that people want a story. Um, people who are, who feel a bit of reticence about visual art because, you know, they've been to white wall galleries and they've had someone rude to them behind the desk or, you know, all the old school stuff that no one really appreciates, you know. Um, so I think there's a sort of a little bit of a fear factor there. And so if you can tell people the story of your work but not go into massive theory and all that stuff, just kind of tell them what you're about but do it in a way that's kind of engaging, then... That's that's big, and another statement goes a little bit towards that, definitely. Mm. And same for you, Simon. As far as like like is the story behind the artist? Is that it seems to be the way? Even the way that you're talking about it seems to be more much more almost about the the person rather than just the actual like visual depiction of their work output. Would yeah, you- look, it's it's it can be a combination of both. I mean, one thing that I think we're in a really interesting time within sort of street art festivals is that like, you know, only up until 2019, every other event that we've ever done has never been through any kind of um, design approval process, for example. So, you know, even with myself, right up until these artists are attending this, you know, walking up to the wall, you know, nobody is apart from them is really aware of of what the work is going to be. And I think there's something really exciting about that. I think what is starting to happen though within straight up festival world especially is that you know there's this real big emphasis on story and context and local people and personalities and 
And it's a, it's a bit of a conundrum for me on a personal level because I think the reason that this kind of art had such an amazing cut through was because it was so autonomous and it was raw and it was real and it was just driven by the individual. Whereas now there's almost like a bit of a committee approach to how these works are composed. And I think, Mm. I think it's great. I think it serves its purpose on a few different levels, but at the same time as well, I I think I've used this analogy a million times where, you know, we don't have somebody like John Farnham or Jimmy Barnes come to play his classics. And all of a sudden we're asking him to rewrite the second verse of one of his songs to match, to talk about the escarpment and the lighthouse. And, you know, like I, I feel like that, that level of kind of artistic direction can is starting to be a little bit diluted, but yeah, like it, it, I guess it just comes with the territory that when you are in operating in public spaces that, you know, everybody does have an opinion, fortunately think, or unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting little dichotomy there in that like, I mean, the, the, the classic, I mean, there's, there's the classic example of what like the role of street art amongst uh, more established galleries um, is like one of those classic feuds. But both of you seem to be talking about, I mean, like, Madeline, you were saying, like, yeah, you need an artist statement, but don't go nuts. Like, as soon as you fulfill the – as soon as you become the kind of, for want of a better word, like the art wanker within your own work, it's like it, it's almost less valid. And same same for you, Simon. You were saying, like, you actually don't – you actually don't want it to be cluttered. Like, like clutter and trying to overthink the selling point it, it will really work against the art itself almost. At least from like engaging like the everyday person, I suppose. Well, for yeah, for communicating with people, but also communicating to galleries because they read endless amounts of this stuff and they can yeah. see through it. You know, I mean, that's true of grants as well. They go, hang on, that's just all crap. What do you actually want to do with how much? What's what are you actually trying to do or say? Yeah, completely. And I think, you know, obviously how many times have we heard about, you know, how subjective art is and, you know, like it's, up, you know, beauty and the eye of the beholder and all the rest of it. And I think sometimes, you know, with it being visual art is that, you know, like it, we should just be acting on what our first impression on these pieces are. I mean, I obviously can only speak within the, the public art and street art world, but like I said, I think, um, you know, a lot of these artists that have come from a graffiti background and have gone from manipulating letters and, you know, the alphabet for however long and are now starting to bring that into these incredible just pattern pieces, which, you know, are really yeah. as simple as the deconstruction of the letter form. Like that that to me is as valid as, you know, a picture-perfect portrait, you know, on a massive wall. Like I think they're, I think they're equally as relevant, but yet I think we just fall into this dangerous territory that, you know, photorealism and you know, thematic works are, are what is important in this space. And, yeah, it's a bit of a yeah. slippery slope. Is the, what are the, What's the role of, like, finance when it comes to all this? If you've got your work, like, how important for both of for both street art festivals, street art for itself, or um, showcasing in galleries or developing your art, is finance and funding uh, an important stepping stone? For like, if I start with you, Simon, like, is is the is is the role that you play to try to get people to not have to worry so much about funding in order to get it shown? Is that your? Yeah, look, I, I think for the most part, with the exception of something like Wonderwalls, but as Verb Syndicate as a for-profit business, you know, like our role there is to sort of seek and 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 find commercial opportunities for artists and projects that might be, you know. Uh, interior fit out for shops, um, yeah. cafes, whatever it might be, signage, whatever. Um, but you know, there's it, it's also about 
trying to find other kind of commercial opportunities where there's an ability to tap into an, an artist's creative or look and feel that that might be adapted to, you know, wine bottles or cans of drink or, or, or whatever that is. So, um, yeah, like I, I think that's primarily where we sit in terms of like the financing of these kinds of things. Um, is it wholly and solely our role? Um, not all the time. Um, you know, we can, we can be just a good ear to listen and, you know, help workshop where those prices should sit or what we think, you know, would be beneficial to, to the people involved. But yeah, I think we, without sort of having to rely too heavily on public money or um, grant writing and, you know, funding and all the rest of it, like I think, like I said, because it's come from such raw organic roots on the, on the street that, you know, we sort of, try to I don't know if I'm, I'm making a <laughs> no I know so yeah you actually don't there, want to cloud the what kind of the the truth of the the art I guess again it's like um maybe um yeah in, in the sense that you know if we do work if we do broker a partnership between you know like a business and a and an artist that you know the aim for that is to not get a pixel pusher or mm-hmm. a paint pusher is that you know the aim for those those relationships is that you know the artists can can retain that integrity and, and actually be themselves. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, well, then, what about you, uh, Madeline? About like like how much work do when you you said you oh, sorry I you you like advise young people and young artists and emerging artists mm-hmm. in next steps of their practice. So, how much of that is related to funding and commercial opportunities, or is it really about like yeah, your, I, I mean- a creative route? I suppose. Well, it's kind of both, but yeah, money's key. I mean, the, the thing that I think a lot of people don't, I mean, because I teach at the art school as well, and the, I think that the one thing that people don't kind of get told enough is that this is actually not a really financially, you know, like you're not going to be. <laughs> Isn't super that like, whatever form of arts you go into. Well, the arts are well. so well respected in our country. Uh, yeah. well, the <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so well paid too. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's obviously those individuals that do really, really well and they're always held up as the examples. But then there's the other people who are just, you know, making a general living. And so being able to write grants, all that sort of stuff is important. However, I've, you know, had people say to me, well, I spent two months writing this grant. I didn't get it. It was for $20,000. I could have gone and got a job and probably got paid the same amount in that time because I dedicated X amount of time to writing this grant and didn't get it. And so, but there are small grants that are easier to get or not easier, but like more applicable to people just coming out of school or art schools or just starting out as an artist. And they are generally a lot less wordy and a lot less um, kind of onerous for someone to do. And I'd suggest it's not a bad idea to kind of cast around and look at what's available. So the sort of National Association for the Visual Arts has a small grant um, to help build websites, for example, or to pay, you know, to pay for a website being built. Um, There's small grants from Create New South Wales. um, And there's a lot of focus on regional um, uh, funding too. So that's one of the key performance indicators, as they love to call it, um, at Create New South Wales. So, you know, there's, there is money, but mm. you are going up against a huge amount of people. It does take time. And sometimes it's just, it, it's sort of better to go for a commercial way of trying to find a solution. Like, yeah. you know, is teaching a combination of teaching, selling your work, doing some work at markets, or the, you know, is that going to work for you? Better than trying to write a grant. Yeah, it's a really tricky one as well. Like I, I've spoken a lot about this with with peers within the industry as well. Is that it's almost like art? I think is like, 
or creative business is almost the only industry where you can wake up one day and go, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, Mm -hmm. I'm a performer, whatever it is, without any form of training, without any form of qualification. I mean, you can't even put tiles on a roof without, you know, like a white card. And I think like that, that level of kind of expectation of, of work and income comes with as easy as it is to say that you are one, you know, Mm -hmm. and I I think that's something that can be really difficult to try and articulate to people that are sort of just coming into things is that, you know, I mean, however long I've been going at this, this is 12 years with Verb Syndicate and, you know, we still miss out on work and, you know, we're still struggling. We're still exactly the same situation, putting two months into a project and presenting and pitching and all the rest of it and get the tap on the shoulder and we're unsuccessful. And, you know, like, so I don't think those, like the reality of that doesn't discriminate, you know, whatever level it's almost like <laughs> the bigger the disappointment <laughs> you know like it it doesn't it doesn't stop you know so i don't want anybody to think that all of a sudden you know you, you get an abn and doors start to open you know yeah. like it's still literally about the hustle isn't it, it uh, the hustle is a big part of it and i always my kind of cliche line that i say to people is how much rejection do you think you can cope with <laughs> like if you can cope with five rejections a year go for five. Yeah. yeah. Go for five, go for three, you know, like go for what your level of without getting too depressed or, you know, you don't want to give up. So how do you not give up? That's incredibly practical advice. If you aim for, aim for the level of failure that you can handle, that is gorgeous. Um, like, (laughs) um, it's the only only solution I came up with after 20 years. No, that's, um, actually, I I guess that actually reframes my entire idea of like the business side of what art should be. Cause ultimately, like uh, the classic, the classic example is like have it, like have a very specific goal that you can achieve, and like do whatever you can to like take that side, that like step towards that. Whether you're like whatever kind of artist you are on any kind of level, but if you're like aiming to be like, what is my minimum, what is my maximum pain threshold when it comes to this? That is a huge, interesting reframing of the whole thing. I don't mean interesting as a bad thing. I think it's like. You're right. It's so true. Or it's almost like it's a thing you actually have to get your head around at some point. Um, that is gonna. That's that's been my deal breaker of the day. I love it. That is really good. Uh, I'm totally gonna steal that, or at least send artists to your classes specifically, Madeline. That's great. Um, I mean, so even in the street art world, uh, Simon, how w- when does what's rejection like there as it comes to like like in the ro- role of like your I don't know, the role in a public sort of art sort of world or is it like um, on an individual artist's basis, or I suppose? It, does it relate? Yeah, oh, I mean, there's there's successes and failures all across the park, both for artists, agents, managers, whoever's in, in the mix. I mean, you know, like from from a, an agency perspective, I mean, one thing that happens a lot for us that I don't think artists or businesses are necessarily privy to seeing is the amount of work that actually goes in to get, you know, artists and projects like ready for market, so to speak, in terms of like, you know, the proposal, the deck, the presentation, the travel to the meetings, the, you know, the presentation to the staff, the representation to the staff, the re-education that has to happen when reshuffling within an organisation happens. And I mean, it's it's a real interesting set up in the sense that, you know, once you, once you sign on with a, with an artist for a project that, you know, their work can be completed in anywhere from one to four days or five days or whatever the, the process would take. But, you know, 
the reality of it is, is that, you know, that, that process could have taken five weeks or five yeah. months to have actually got that artist to the front door of that project, you know, and I, I think a lot of that isn't necessarily seen by a lot of people. I mean, I, I think if I had a dollar for every image I've dropped into a PowerPoint presentation and gone and presented to brands and businesses on, you know, a, a, a couple of opportunities or a few, few opportunities over the years, then I probably could just do that full time. But, um, but yeah, again, you, you go into those situations with no um, expectation for financial return on those mm, opportunities mm. either, you know? So I know there's often a conversation that happens with creatives around, okay, we've got a client that's interested, you know, can we put some, um, put some budget into getting some designs? And there is an expectation that artists should be paid at that, at that time period of a project to, to formulate ideas. And I, and I totally agree with that. And whenever we, um, we're in a project, we make sure that that happens. But again, going circling back on what it took to get that project there, you know, we've we've inserted a bunch of our IP and our expertise and our sort of sales tactics to be able mm. to do that with no return. So, you know, there's got to be that initial flint somewhere. Someone's got to spark the fire somewhere. So, um, yeah, that that re- that rejection happens for us, you know, quite a bit. Like I said, I've got hundreds of burnt out PowerPoint decks on the uh, yeah. on the Google Drive. I mean, that all that sounds like you're saying there's a big misunderstanding between like the output of a work and the work that goes into making that work and i guess that that will go for like so much of the visual arts of just like it's like that classic idea of um asking an artist to whip up something quick they don't have to sort of focus on and it's like mm. it's how impossible is that i suppose like um it, basically that it's like the people who aren't artists themselves really don't understand the amount of work that goes in whether creatively or research-based or on the business side of things um is it is that a thing that has to be over that we have to overcome that we should be focusing on like showing people those kind of aspects like outside of the artist world how much goes into it or is it that a thing that we'll always have to deal with inevitably i think it's a bit of both yeah um but i i actually think that um it would be good if people understood that admin side a bit more because I think that even students or young artists don't understand that admin side and and often don't respect the people who are behind the scenes doing that for them, um, which can cause the tension. Mm. Um, And that would be really good if that was some level of education or some, I'm not really sure how this could be achieved, but within schools to sort of, you know, to say, look, you you will have admin in your your process. Um, It's like that famous thing, you know, people always ask you how long it took you to make a work and, you know, it could have taken you 10 minutes or it could have taken you 10 hours or 10 weeks. But ultimately it took you 34 years. But ultimately it was your lifetime (laughs) leading up to that point. So, yeah, exactly. Um, It's it's kind of really tough because you've got all the skills that people can see. So they go, I can see that you can paint, I can see that you can draw, I can see that you can make an artwork. And they look at the end product. They don't think of all of the stuff that got you to that product. Um, Yeah, totally. Uh, While I don't necessarily agree that, you know, you should be giving designs away for free or ideas away for free as well, I think the really important reason to try and justify why that you could be in a position to do that is that the common brand or business or institution that you may be working with, they don't share the vision. They can't visualize things in their heads. It's not that they want to see something so they can steal 80% of the ideas and this myth of change it by 20% and you've dodged copyright. And, you know, if only these businesses had enough time 
to worry about that sort of stuff or that they were that <laughs> yeah. vindictive and malicious. Like it really is because, you know, if if you were to articulate something to me in words as a visual artist, it's going to just sound like a kerfuffle and then I'm going to go and, you know, translate that to two other people within my organisation. And I think if we've just got some bare bones and for artists not necessarily to get super precious on what the design, like you'd be surprised what can be bought and sold on a few little sketches that you know can just be knocked out while you're having a conversation but i think just being able to no pun intended or pun intended paint the picture mm. you know of what this thing is going to be and and like i said i always come back to this idea of you know just starting the, the getting the flint it can it can pay dividends you know just for a little bit of extra and if you're prepared to do that over the next person who isn't because they want x amount of dollars for a concept then I think, you know, it's again, it's the same thing with us. You know, we're presenting proposals. We're not getting paid for those proposals, but we know unless we go in and impress these clients, then we just don't stand a chance. We've got to do more than the next person. Yeah. So really it's not about, I mean, obviously talent is just like one tiny aspect of making work. And it's really actually like as far as an artist goes, like talent will get you so far, but it just sounds like heaps of it is like working on your, for want of a better word, sales pitch, um, mm. Or like the way that you talk about it to make it more, I don't know, readable to people who are going to buy it. I suppose is one way to think about it. Um, it needs to, I guess you need to be able to communicate it in mm. whichever way is the best way for the situation that you're in. So if it is a commercial gallery, they might want a certain kind of way of speaking. If it's a person, general public, they might want another way. Um, so being able to communicate, and also perseverance, I'd say, like actually just kind of turning up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think we've both probably seen a ton of people who have gotten, you know, leaps and bounds without talent, you know, so yeah. <laughs> it really yeah. just comes down to your ability to network, sell yourself, you know, it's, um, there was, oh, I can't remember what the, for- I saw this fortune cookie thing the other day and it had in it, um, oh, something about, I'll, I'll find it, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back on that. I like the idea of you uh, scrounging through a box of uh, <laughs> fortune cookies looking for the right one, like, oh, this, this is going to be it. <laughs> I just eat them as I go. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, sorry. I'll, it, it's worth the chat, but we'll come back to it. <laughs> so there's something about like, yeah, so rather than like educating um, other people now on what the artist practice is, it's really about the artist being adaptable seems to be the the biggest skill, or at least we're going to accept the world, that the world is in some way working against artists and the artist should sort of learn to kind of, tread the world as an artist in a business, I suppose. Um, and both of you seem to be like, look like you are trying to train artists into that way of thinking, or at least to explain it to them in like, you have to get a handle on admin communication and networking. Um, I remember when I was like a young artist, I like the idea of networking just rubs me the wrong way of just like, oh, I have to talk to these people in a way that is just like, I'm I like that I'm up for sale and I have to schmooze. But re- I think it's like, it's reframing that word networking to be like, oh, like being human and like, like talking to people and like being able to explain yourself the way you would have to explain to a friend. And it's just, that goes such a long way. And that's a skill that like, I think gets passed over when you talk about networking or schmoozing. Like, yeah, you need to, like, that's just the basis of being, a human and guttering friends, let alone selling products, I think. 
not everyone's a natural to do that. I mean, I know when I left art school, I didn't want to go and talk to lots of people. I wouldn't stand near my work. I never talked to anyone about Still it. Still don't. Well, what a surprise! No one bought it. Yeah. Like, so, what's you know? the are there practical steps, or how how do how do people get better, or how do people start thinking about overcoming those those hurdles? I think it's it's a confidence issue. I think mm. is part of it, but also having support from someone. Like often it'll be someone who comes along and says, "I really like what you're doing." Who you don't know um, at a show or something that can completely change how you think. Um, so, I guess trying to again deal with that level of negativity and positivity. If you put your work out there, there's going to be people that love it and people that hate it. And how much you invest in either one of those emotions is is how much resilience you can kind of build into your own, um, you know, ability to keep going and keep making. Mm. Would you agree, Simon? Yeah, totally. And I, th- I think probably not overthinking like the term networking, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody has ever gone out. I don't know. I haven't ever gone out before and, you know, what are you up to tonight? I'm networking. Yeah, I know. I think it's <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. oh, well, we won't interrupt you then. That's, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, I think it's just, you know, like reframing it. Like, you know, you, you're socialising, you're interacting, yeah. you know, like you're discussing. And if you're not a, if you're not a, um, if you're not a natural conversationalist and you find it difficult to approach people, you know, I actually have, have found that, you know, something as simple as, you know, if you identify someone, I don't know, in an exhibition or a, a room that you, you you want to collaborate with, I think you'd actually be so surprised how open to stuff people actually are. And anybody that's in a position where they're contributing or doing things, um, for them to be so closed-minded as to somebody. To not pay attention to you at all. Yeah. Exactly, is is really naive. And anybody that's probably gotten to that position wouldn't have that mindset anyway, you know. But I think it's just really interesting to be able to, you know, I think it's as simple as walking up to someone and saying, oh, you know, you're such and such from something and such. I'm this person from this place. I don't want to interrupt you tonight, but do you have a card? Can I grab your card? I might just send you an email on Monday if that's cool. Hmm. And it's done. Like, I, And I think there's a there's a mutual respect there that you haven't, you know, there's nothing worse than either being caught or being the one catching someone just yammering on about the 20 years of stuff that you've gone through and how they would never understand. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a natural kind of thing to be, to be scared of that kind of interaction. But I think you just don't need to overcomplicate it. You know, you can always say more. You can never, once you've said it, you can't say less, Yeah. you know, and just on my um, fortune cookie thing as well, it says all you need in life is ignorance and confidence and then success is sure. That's simple, <laughs> eh? <laughs> I'm actually glad we waited for that one. That was great. <laughs> uh, it's, the confidence thing is such a huge thing of like, like again, it's, it's, just re- it's literally reframing all these words, like networking assumes one thing as opposed to socialising and confidence seems to come um, – uh, it seems to imply that you have to be a f- completely fearless, as opposed to, or like, uh, like almost aggressive, as opposed to what you essentially what you're both saying is like, if you have like a process of communication or like just things you want to achieve to like explain your work, you can that that confidence doesn't is just about like having a goal, I suppose maybe. Um, which I just wish I knew as a young artist because like like networking and confidence is just like it's like oh I don't want to do that and confidence is terrifying or like makes me an asshole or whatever like um, can can I just add something to that as well I don't think there's ever been a better I don't want to say an easier time but I don't think there's ever been a better time 
for the recluse to be able to network through social media, you know, like to be able to interact behind a screen, like, comment and engage on other people's posts and have them do the same thing for you. I mean, you know, you've got a direct line to some of the biggest talent in the world through social media now where you can slide into people's DMs, have a little bit of a chat. Like it, it's, you know, you don't need to be the brave person that just walks up to, you know, whoever in, in the gallery and, you know, in a suit and be super impressive, you know. You can actually be quite – you can network quite passively and, and cleverly with social media these days, you know. So that didn't exist before, you know. Yeah, that's actually – that's again, that's really important to remember that, uh, yeah, as a young – like it just seemed impossible for me when I was like starting out and um, – mm. And I you don't ask, you don't get, you know, like yeah. you've, you've just got to ask. And I, like I said, I think you, I think people would be so surprised. Like even the first couple of years of Wonder Walls, I literally was emailing my heroes. Like I'd, I'd, and I'd get to the point where I'd write the email and then I'd go, right. And I'd, I'd honestly close my eyes and just go send and just throw just it out do, there. And I'd forget yeah. and I'd hear back two weeks later and, you know, just got to be a bit audacious and worst they can say is no. Yeah, I use that expression a lot. Like the worst thing anyone can say is no, or actually the second worst thing anyone can say is no. They can say no and be rude, yeah. but that's their, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and then they're dismissed for life. Then it won't, yeah. it won't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, so you don't want to be with them because they're not very nice. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely emailing is a great way. Like I've kind of looked up a few artists' websites from people that I really respect and I've sent them emails and people have got back just to say I really like your work or whatever, just feeling right. like there's that contact with someone that you wanted to, you know, and also knowing that if anyone has ever said that to me that it means a lot. So I'm sure that even if someone's incredibly famous, they're going to appreciate, appreciate someone yeah. telling them that they like their work. Yeah. Mm. Can, can I add another thing to that? I, I'd also say with the email thing as well, like your success is in the follow-up, you know, it's, it's the send one email and then you just don't know what people's days and lives are like, you know, day to day. And you could send an email one day and then it just has been missed in the chaos of the day. But then the follow up, you know, and the follow up and, you know, look, I, I've followed up. I would be embarrassed to say how many times I've followed up with people where, you know. Oh, then please hey, do. <laughs> you know, well, look, I've, I'm, I've been on six and seven emails. Hey, look, you know, I know I've checked in a couple of times on this. If you don't, if it's not of interest, totally cool. But could you just let me know either way? Like, I think these are all just 101 social cues. Nobody wants to be rude to anybody, you know, but I think I read a good one. Um, success is determined by how many uncomfortable conversations you're prepared to have. Mm. And, you know, like like I said, you don't get fined. You don't go to jail if somebody says no, you know. Mm. There's, there's no consequence. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sorry, Madeline. You- no, I was just going to say the other thing is just that um, idea of like, I, I guess I recontextual like rethought what was happening with my practice when it felt like it was stalling after about five years out of art school because I went, well, I turn up to a job and I'm expected in a job at the time I was doing design work to do X, Y, and Z. And really that's how I should approach making work. Mm. So, you know, treat it like go somewhere, do something, leave, you know, or do all the things you say you're going to do, make some work, send some emails, do that sort of stuff and then finish. Um, Instead of the kind of vaguely romantic idea that I had about it, I guess, that was part of the issue, that it wasn't very practical. Like, yeah, mm. you learnt the skills and then you had this kind of very romantic idea of how it was all going to come together. Mm. Would and you say that, that like, your all, your opportunities have all come through that process, like both of you, like of, of 
uh, opportunities or successes have come through just like I just gotta ask someone or like is 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 that how is that how simple it is that you like you have this advice because that's been your path to success? Well, I reckon I reckon I would have less than five moments in my career that people have actually engaged me. It's mm-hmm. always been me going the other way. Always. You know, in fact, I think that I, I'm just thinking like there's been probably three big moments where I've had something come into the inbox and I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. Everything else has been, you know, the hundreds, if not potentially thousands of other opportunities that we've been able to pursue have just been off my own back. You know, so and I would love to just be the guy that's fielding, <laughs> fielding the inquiries, but it's just the reality of it. You know, you make the hard stuff look easy and the easy stuff look hard. I was wondering if you, if actually, if if it would be good to have this constant flux of offers. I just, I think that I now that I think about, it, I'm like that actually sounds awful. Like, the <laughs> oh no, no, I'd I'd be happy to be there, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> come and come and see how the other half lives. <laughs> okay, <cool. laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think for me it's been particular people who've been like mentors or who've completely changed my approach and opportunities. Um, I have to say that there have been other people not necessarily going, here's, here's this thing to do or, you know, here's a show or whatever, but more just their support mm. um, and their belief in what I was doing um, made me start to feel like, yes, I can actually do this. Um, so it's... Um, particularly a couple of mentorships, one with um, Linda Draper, um, who's a um, a ceramic artist, and just uh, the things that she has kind of done. She ran a program. I did that program. I met a whole lot of artists from that. We had a big show. So all of those kind of things came off the back of that. Um, Yeah. But also the only other thing I'd say, and this is kind of separate, I guess, but sort of related is that, uh, it, you can make all of this easier for yourself if you're, um, and unfortunately it's very tedious and it's hard to impress on people how tedious it is, but filing and kind of, if you've got a grant application, you know you can repurpose it for something else and you've got it filed in such a way that you can use it again or a, an application for a gallery or your photos are filed properly, then all of that stuff, all of that admin does actually play into those opportunities, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when someone has confidence in you and says, oh, I'd really like to hear from you, can you send me something? You can send them a photo and send them text straight away. Yes. Okay. That's, again, that's very good practical advice. Like, I, I, this conversation has been very good. I was, um, uh, not to mention that it applies across obviously every kind of art form. Like, it feels like very early on, we, like the three of us stopped talking very specifically about the visual arts world. Like, that just seems to be, good advice for any kind of artist um whether you are emerging or later or not if it's just about like like asking for things that you'd like <laughs> um, <laughs> i think it just adapts to life doesn't it <laughs> yeah and then and fortune cookies obviously solving the world's problems <laughs> i was thinking what's the next sort of step as far as visual arts in australia sort of What's that kind of looking like at the moment? Or like as far as festivals go, are you, is it like a moment of just... Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, even before all of this stuff happened, you know, I've always been of the mindset that, you know, like with festivals in particular is that, you know, we can't necessarily just be on the wall mm. for the next 10 years and everyone's going to be okay with that. You know, what does it look like? Is it lighting? Is it augmented reality? Is it visual, you know, virtual reality? Um, you know, trying to innovate wherever possible. But I guess the good thing with the business that, we do is that you know our 
motto or yeah motto is basically just to adapt creative to any project you know so it doesn't need to be a festival it could be like i said you know wine bottles it could be graphic design websites video whatever it is you know like it, it it's mm. just about having that output and, and pushing that output and like the adaptation is obviously an inevitable skill as well especially now it's just like whatever happens next just be ready for uh, to apply it to that direction i suppose Totally. Yeah, I, I also think that now is like for me personally, but I kind of think for a lot of artists, I know that is a time to actually take a step back because for some people, they kind of their their lives have become so busy that they've kind of, you know, just pushing to the next show, the next show, the next show, and that's great because there's lots of stuff to do, but it also means that now there's some bit of time to kind of reflect on practice and and kind of spend more time with the work and really mm. think through as well as, you know, think about, well, okay, if this situation continues for two years, three years, however long, they don't seem to know, then what can I do in that time um, to still get my work out there, but also still make work Yeah, and think through what I'm doing. All of this seems to like go under the impression that like, not under the impression, but like that, that, that it's much less about perfecting, your art seems to be like, especially in this world, it's like we have, we've all come to accept that we get better at our art by doing it more as opposed to private, like focusing on a very technical skill. It's like you can actually develop and change by presenting as well. Seems to be a huge, like, like that's, which just seems very different to how things were years ago. It seems like you, the idea was that you were essentially a fully formed artist that had to sort of like go do things and, um, but you needed to spend time to be like, I need to focus on this one particular skill to develop my next kind of work. And now if we just start thinking about there's opportunities and you already have a skill set because you have, you're right, you woke up and said you wanted to be an artist and you can take steps to doing that. Mm-hmm that maybe this that's a really interesting thing to remember, that it's less about being perfect and more about being able to communicate your goals and getting them. Yeah, I think there's no longer where you have to be one kind of artist. Like I remember when I went to art school, you were a painter. That was yeah. what you did. And now it's like, no, no, you can do whatever you want because you see all all art now is everyone using everything. Yeah. The number of times I've had to say I'm a multidisciplinary artist and I'm <laughs> up against 12 other multidisciplinary artists. It's like, why would this word means nothing now? Because of course we all are. <laughs> like- you've, yeah, you've got to be. It's it's interesting within the street art world, I've had a lot of conversations with artists that just live within that kind of analogue delivery um, and talking to them about, you know, sort of future proof in their practice and, you know, get an iPad now you know, and a pencil and learn to create digitally. And, you know, because if, if you can't physically do it, you know, like now has been no better of a time to obviously have the time to learn the trade, but yeah. now is a sign of what the times, I mean, who's to say that this isn't the reality in 20 years from now, not because of COVID, but just because of the ease in which we can, you know, communicate and exchange things digitally. I mean, we already can look at what we're doing here. Yeah. That's that's actually – I think that feels like a good place to end on, I think, as like that seems quite – there's a list of good practical outcomes in there. I am surprisingly hopeful about the future uh, when it comes to this, um, as like just as a result of this conversation. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's like, adapt, like just adapt, guys. Just like keep going in different ways and kind of just fulfill that and just be more human. That sounds lovely. <laughs> Aside from the whole environmental and uh, like all the like everything else that's sort of embedded in there, there's so many obviously systematic problems that need to be solved. But if it like the starting basis of this is as an artist, achieving things is within your grasp, and 
that sounds good. And with that profound insight I offered there with the word good, we wrapped the conversation up. Even though this podcast is looking at experts in different disciplines, I haven't found any piece of advice that's constrained to one art form. I mean, maybe that's obvious, maybe not. But at the very least, I'm having a great time talking to these people about it. So, let's do more. Creative Dialogues is a Wollongong City Council project. I'll link to Simon Grant and Madeline Preston's websites in the show notes, of course. Huge thanks to Annie Clapton and Janine Primer from the Cultural Development Team who helped me prepare and run these conversations. And... I think that's it. All right, well, I have to whip off anyway. I've got to go and put some signs up, so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, nice to meet you, Simon. Yeah, likewise. Good luck with everything. <laughs> Thank you, you too. Right, see, see you, Simon. Later. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Um, and bye, Madeline. Thanks so much. That was bye, great. Tom. Okay, see you. Bye.